0: Welcome to week number three in our series uh, that we're calling Silent No More, and uh, we're really shining a light on compassion, and And I don't know about you, but from the first week and last week with our special guests, Josh and, and Kristen Lipscomb, boy, th- th- we, it was a phenomenal, epic weekend uh, for Our our church family and we want to continue that series this week Uh, and then we'll actually have two more weeks after this as well next week uh, we're gonna be uh, answering the question won't you be my neighbor and we're gonna be looking at one of the uh, stories or parables that Jesus told that really has a lot of application as we're talking about compassion uh, in this series so I hope you make plans to be here uh, for that but this week I want to talk about hooks and arrows and that probably makes no sense to you whatsoever, but hopefully I trust it will uh, by the end of our time together. So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, if you'll go ahead and open that up and you can just fill in the blank. That's a free uh, download in the uh, app store there and Um, I I was using it last week with a guest speaker, and it's so cool to be able to look back on the notes, and it's all saved there on the app, and uh, we're getting close now to 900 downloads that we've had of that, so uh, a great tool there to use, Uh, and so I want to jump right in uh, to a passage that Jesus is talking about here. has a lot to do with compassion and really going to set up Uh, This idea that I want to explore in our time together about hooks and arrows. So Luke chapter 14, here we go. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking. He's talking about really this issue of who we show compassion to, who we reach out to, and how we treat other people. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Then Jesus said to his host, he's at a banquet, actually invited to a, a great feast. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends. How about that? He goes, Don't invite your friends when went over to lunch or, or to dinner. When, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not you can't make this stuff up. This is Jesus' words. Some of you are like, I gotta see this in the Bible. He says, Don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, for some of us are like, I would never, but uh, your, your relatives, that means your in-laws too, they're like, no way, uh, or your rich neighbors, if you do, they might invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. He, he says, don't invite people over for dinner or for lunch so that they can invite you back in return. Look at what he says. It goes on and says, But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. This is Jesus speaking. And he goes on and he says, And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know what I love about Jesus? He's always messing with us. He's always messing with us. And this is why I like to say this phrase over and over again. Reading the Bible can mess you up as a Christian. I'd rather read a hundred books that Christian authors wrote about the Bible rather than the Bible. Because when when we start to open the Bible, you know what? All of these preconceived ideas that we have of who Jesus was and what he says, all of a sudden we realize we've got a lot of bad information. And this is one of those instances where Jesus is saying, when you throw a big party, don't do it for your friends. Don't do it for your family. Don't do it for the wealthy who can repay you. Instead, I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you'll be blessed and you'll be blessed although they can't repay you you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous God is going to repay you God is going to reward you God is going to bless you and it won't just be with a meal it'll be for all eternity what is Jesus getting at here we're talking about compassion What is it that Jesus means here? Give without expecting any repayment. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want my followers to give without expecting, not to give with what's in it for me, but to give unconditionally, to bless others unconditionally. And, and I don't think the list that he gives there when he says the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you know, I, I don't think he, he, the idea there is he's saying those that are overlooked, those that are not, not in any type of a position to pay you back or, or, or to, you know, return the favor to you. This is what Jesus says to us as his followers. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is very, very challenging. This is very, very challenging. Because most of the time, I like to hang out with people that like me. I like to hang out with people that, that think like I think. I like to do good stuff for people that... Truth be told, can, like, do good stuff to me. And Jesus comes, and he just turns this whole mindset of this world upside down. And he says, you do for people that can never repay you. That there's no way they can return the favor. You do to those that need it the most. So what do we do when we experience kind of a, This challenge, this challenge of like, I feel so unable to love God the way I'm supposed to. I feel so unable or so inadequate to to reach out and to bless others and and to really look out for those that need it the most that have no way of helping me out in return. What do we do? I think there's two, two choices that we have. The first one is this, we can fake it. We we can just fake it and 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 like ignore the need. We can just pretend like it's not there. We can just keep walking by. We 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 can just bury our head in the sand and, and, and pretend like those that need us the most really aren't there. We can just fake it. There's only one problem with that all the teachings of scripture. All the teachings of the Bible. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, just one instance, it says, love must be sincere. God doesn't want us faking anything. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. This word sincere means genuine, authentic. Nowhere in the Bible does it say fake it, pretend like Act like something's not really happening that really is. And so I, I don't think that, although we do it sometimes, I don't think faking it is really a good option for us. What's well, the second choice that we have instead of faking it? Is to face it. To, to face our own challenges, our own inadequacies, when we realize Jesus is calling us into a greater love. A greater love for our Heavenly Father, a greater love for our fellow man, a greater love for those that may be struggling, that may be falling and tripping up, a greater love for those that may actually to us seem like they're not too lovable. Those are the ones that God says need it the most, not the wealthy, not the the ones that can return the favor to us, we need to face it. This is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He said, A new command I give you. Love one another. And I wish he had just stopped talking. Because then I could love the way I wanted to the way Greg love. But Jesus went on and he just defined exactly what he expects of you and me. He said, Love One another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He said this after he washed the disciples' feet, including Judas's, knowing he was going to betray him. And he says, Love one another as I have loved you, just as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he goes on and he says, By this everyone will know you're my disciples, if. If you love one another. That word if is two letters, but it's so big. He didn't say they're going to know you're my disciples by the magnet on your car, (laughs) by the big Bible under your arm, by any other thing, but by the love that you have one for another. And this brings me to really the, the title of our message, Hooks and Arrows. See, it's really interesting. This word "love." There's actually four words in the original in Greek, the original language of the New Testament. Four words that are translated "love." Two of them are somewhat important. They're all four are found in the New Testament, uh, but two of them I'm not even going to really talk much about because it's the other two that seems to be where we find ourselves between when it comes to love. In English, we have a very general language. We just use the word love. So, you know, no offense or anything, but I love my wife. I, I really also love this, this podium here. We don't have any way to put those. It's just love. It's just this one big, huge catch-all word. But Greek is very, very precise, very, very specific. In, in fact, much of the time, if we're really honest... What we love, the word we love, is the Greek word eros, E-R-O-S, eros. And it means kind of like worldly love. It means like uh, when I say I love this or I I love pizza, that's like eros. It's very interesting in Greek language, uh, the Greek symbol for the word eros, take a look at this, is a snake that's consuming itself. Eros literally means self-consuming love. It means selfish love. Love that is all about me getting what I want, when I want it, the way I want it. That's the Greek word for love, one of the words for love, eros. And we see here a snake actually consuming itself. The focus is itself. And so... It's turned inward. It's, it's hooked, if you will. When it comes to our love, if we really could evaluate it, there's three different kinds of arrows. If we want to look at a diagram, really, of what our love looks like, I think it can be summed up three different ways, three different kinds of arrows, like a bow and an arrow. It's interesting, C.S. Lewis put it this way, when sin entered, all the world became bent. And that's what happened to our world. Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned, all the world was bent. You're bent, I'm bent, we're all bent. What is redemption? What is salvation? What is the gospel? Jesus came to straighten us out. Jesus came to straighten out our bent perception of love. And, And so... Here's the first kind of love, if you want to look at an arrow, is the arrow's hook. Many of us love with a hook. I'm going to do this for you because you know what? I'm kind of expecting you to do something for me. We have all kinds of sayings, don't we? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And, and, and we always have this idea that it's like a negotiation. I'm going to do something, but really what I want you to do is something for me in return. And and so it's always like self-centered. That's Eros kind of love. And so even in our conversations, you know, we're having a conversation. We're like, "Uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? It's always like, it's always, it's always love with a hook. And, And the thing is, this is the infection of humanity. It's sin because it's always about me. In fact, when when, when we're having a conversation and we're listening to someone, we're not listening to someone, are we? We're just going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And we're already thinking, this is what I'm gonna say. As soon as they shut up, this is what I'm gonna say. And it's not like an argument or anything. It's just like, I wanna say what I wanna say. So as soon as you stop, I'm gonna say what I wanna say. It's love with a hook. Jesus died for us because of this. And, And until we can recognize the hook in our love, we'll never be compassionate the way God wants us to be. And that's what Jesus was all about. Jesus never loved anyone with a hook. It wasn't about him. There's a different word for love that I want to focus on. Instead of eros, it's the word agape. and agape love is straight arrow kind of love. Agape, that's the Greek word for divine love. It's the Greek word for perfect love. It's the Greek word for unconditional love. And when you understand just even these two words, all of a sudden the New Testament opens up completely. Because we read so many times these very familiar passages of Scripture, and when it says something like, uh, God wants us to love one another, we're like, okay, feel pretty good about that person. That's not what it means. Agape is self-sacrificing. Agape is to the point of laying one's life down. Agape is, I want your good more than I want my good. And that's what Jesus came to, to show us agape, straight arrow kind of love. But many of us live in this life between really hooks and arrows. In fact, there's a third little diagram here. Some of us, I think this would be it, we we live a mixture. It's like all of a sudden we want to do something to help someone else out. And we're like, man, you know, here's someone in need. Let me do something to help it. And then all of a sudden when we're doing to help it, you know, all of a sudden we're like, ooh, you know, that feels pretty good. And you know, I sure do feel a lot better about myself than all these people who are doing nothing. Hey, everybody, look what I did. And that straight arrow turns right into a hook because it becomes all about Greg again. All about me again. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I I, I think many of us We can relate to this. I know I can. Straight arrow and then it turns in. Becomes a hook again and again and again. When when you kind of understand this idea between eros and agape love, all of life, and let me say this, all of life, every single aspect of life can be reduced down to these three arrows: Straight, agape love, crooked, eros love, or a mixture of the hook and the arrow. Now, with that in mind, let's look at one of the most well-known passages in the Bible that has to do with love. And, and let me go a little Greek on you as we read it. Remember, agape love. Perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, look for the benefit of the other before I look for any benefit of my own. You hear this read right at weddings all the time. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast because those are eros, those are love with a hook. It is not proud. That's love with a hook. It goes on and says, it does not dishonor others. It, does, it is not self-seeking. That's the definition of Eros love, that it seeks to gratify itself. What makes me feel good? Agape is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. None. None. Whatever it is that I'm holding against someone that that hurt me, I may say I love them. I don't love them. Agape keeps no record of wrongs. He goes on and says, Agape, it's the word right there, Agape does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then it says, agape never fails. It never does. It never has. It never will. It's perfect God kind of love. And if you and I are going to be the compassionate followers of Christ that he wants us to be, it cannot happen with a hook. It can only happen by agape love. Perfect, unconditional, sacrificial love. And as I said, this whole idea, many, many years ago, probably 12 years ago, I taught a whole series on Sunday called Hooks and Arrows. Just, just there's so much of this in the Bible. Once you see this, you can't even read the Bible the same anymore, because you want to just look up which word is being used there that's being translated love? But for the sake of our time together, I, I, I want to just share with you seven aspects of agape love. Seven aspects of agape love so we can begin to understand a little bit better what, what is this that God's really calling us to? Because as Jesus was saying, when, when you have a party, when, you, when you're inviting people to a banquet or a lunch or a dinner or something like that, don't, don't invite those that can do something in return to reciprocate because that's love with a hook. That's eros. Love instead, straight arrow. Do for those that cannot return any good to you at all. So seven aspects of agape love. Here's the first one. Agape loves without a self-centered bent. There's no hook on the end. In other words, I'm here to help you and there's nothing in it for me and I don't want anything in return. That's agape love. Agape loves without a hook, without being self-centered at all. Look at this familiar passage of Scripture now and see how it just opens up with this idea of hooks and arrows. John three sixteen, For God so... Agape the world. For God so loved with a straight arrow, expecting nothing in return. For God so loved the world, he, for God so agape the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Agape love, sacrificial. Self denying thinking about the good of others. And doesn't that sum up Jesus and who he was and who he is? Agape love. For God so perfectly loved, unconditionally loved the world. Agape loves without a self centered bent. Here's the second thing about agape love Agape is not dependent on us. In fact, I may put it this way Agape loves impossible without Jesus Christ as your savior and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't work up, I cannot work up perfect love. I can't do it. None of us can do it. It, it, It's nothing in our character that can ever be formed apart from the power, transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Agape is not dependent on us, it's totally dependent upon God. That's what happens at that moment in our lives when when we realize that God agape us so much, loved us so much, that he sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and sinless life. And he who who had no, no reason to be crucified, no reason to pay a penalty for sin, he had none, but he laid his life down for you. And he laid his life down for me and he rose again three days later. And when we realize that sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, and we recognize he died in our place, and we're forgiven by God for our sins, not because we'll ever be good enough, but because Jesus was perfect and took our place. And we trust him for our forgiveness of sins and salvation. That moment, the Bible says we become born again and the Holy Spirit comes inside and begins to straighten out our hooked arrow of love. And we have to rely totally on the power of the Holy Spirit to change in that transformation. Agape is not dependent on us. It's totally dependent upon our following, the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives and obeying what Scripture says. Here's the third thing about agape. Agape responds first. Have you ever been in that place? Man, you know what? I'll apologize if they do. That's not agape. That's conditional love. I'll say I'm sorry if they say I'm sorry. I'll forgive them if they tell me I'm sorry. You don't love them. That's not love. That's a contract. If you do this, I'll do that. Agape responds first. Agape always takes the first step, makes the first move. That's the God kind of love. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It says this. We agape because he first agaped us. We love God back because he first loved us. He took the first step. We love because he first sent his son for us. Here's the fourth thing about agape. Agape controls us. God wants it to be the controlling thing in our lives. Unconditional, sacrificial love for others. Especially as we started out looking at those who can't do anything back for us. Completely unconditional. Agape controls us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 puts it this way. For Christ's, watch this now, for Christ's agape compels us. It's like being restrained, literally. Christ's agape compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. When, when we recognize what Jesus did for us, you know what? All of a sudden, it, it kind of puts the... It, it, it kind of puts the boundaries in my life to say, Greg, stop acting selfishly. Look what Jesus did for you. Greg, stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about how you can help others. Get your eyes off of you and yours and, and me and mine. What can you do to help someone else out? Especially someone that in no way return the favor to you Christ love Christ's agape compels us it motivates us it energizes us it challenges us to love in the same way here's the fifth thing agape creates community real community requires agape unconditional love we like to tell our kids this Susie and I, we have three daughters, and we like to tell them we love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's, there's nothing you can do about it. You can ignore us, you can disrespect us, you can do you're not gonna stop us from loving you. Where'd you get an idea like that from? Agape. It's what really creates community. Safe place. A church should be a place where there's agape love. A safe place for people. Agape creates community. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says. This is pretty wild. He makes, speaking of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. The body of Christ, it's a metaphor. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of, there's that word, Agape, God's desire for every church and for all churches together to show unconditional love. Unconditional love that we don't make people jump through hoops, you don't have to dress this way, you don't have to talk this way, you don't have to look like I do and and, and be like I am. but that every church would be full of agape. The love of God, the perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, (laughs) self-deferring, preferring others over ourselves kind of love. And when you have this, then you have real community. Real community where you don't have to walk on eggshells, where you don't have to avoid conversations, where I feel safe and and I can say what's on my heart and I want to hear what's on your heart. And you know, at the end of the day, we're still committed to each other because of Christ's agape love. Agape creates community. Here's the sixth thing. Agape will never end. It never ends. It'll be for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. Agape never fails. It has never failed once. Any type of relationship we've ever been that ended, that fractured it, it was not agape. Agape never ends. It's forever. It's for all eternity. And it's yours and it's mine through Jesus Christ Not just to experience, as we talked about in the first message, but to also be distributors of God's agape love, unconditional love, because agape love never fails. And here's the seventh thing, and this is hard. This is really, really hard. But it's really, really true. Agape loves even our enemies. Agape loves even our enemies. That's what God expects of you and me, to love our enemies. Those that hate us, those that despise us, those who ridicule us and joke about us. God wants us to love them just like he does. Agape loves even our enemies. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter five. But I tell you, and this word love, there it is, agape your enemies. Love them unconditionally. Love them sacrificially. Put them first. Agape your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus says when, when you and I love our enemies and we actually ask God to bless them and to do good to them, there's a family resemblance between us as God's children and our Heavenly Father because that's what he did for us. Like I said, reading the Bible will mess you up as a Christian. It'd be so easy (laughs) if it weren't for this, because this really cuts through all my preconceived ideas and all my personal opinions. Agape love even loves our enemies. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 14, because it's not just there with Jesus' words. The apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Love our enemies. And, and see, that's, that's the only way, if we shine a light on compassion, that's the only way that we can really love the way God wants us to, is to recognize I can't love people without your power in my life, God. Because sometimes something's going to happen, and I mean well, but they're going to rub me wrong, and I'm going to be, it's all over. It's done. Aren't you glad? I know I am. So thankful that Jesus never got fed up and said, this just isn't worth the hassle. I remember when it dawned on me this whole idea of agape love instead of love with a straight arrow, agape love, instead of love with a hook, eros love. When it dawned on me what Jesus suffered through on the cross, that he actually had to suffer the pain of pushing up on those nails through his feet and rubbing his back, which was torn open through the whipping and the beating to get enough air in his lungs. (sighs) Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even as he was suffering, he was loving me. And he was loving you. I can't do that. Not on my best days can I do that. But he did it. And he says, Greg, if you'll be honest with me and not fake it, not pretend, I'll show you how. And I'll give you the power to love those that are overlooked. And you'll experience something each and every one of us will call compassion. Where, Where it's not just seeing a need and like, I'll pray for you. Compassion is action, it's action. See, let me end with this. Compassion doesn't measure, it ministers. The love of God, the compassion of Jesus Christ doesn't say, have you earned it? Do you deserve it? The love, the agape of God, compassion says, because of what he did for me, I love you and I'll help you. And I'll do whatever it is that I can do. And I don't expect anything in return. Compassion. Compassion does not measure if someone is deserving or not. It chooses to minister. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's what Jesus meant when he talked about inviting those that are overlooked, that can't do anything to help you. Nothing in return, love with a straight arrow. Well, through this series, we've been highlighting different organizations and ministries that we've been partnering with. And and I'm real excited about this weekend. Every weekend's been fantastic. This one actually hits even closer to home. As we wanna just highlight unshattered. And and, uh, we sent out our, our tech crew and and they were able to go there and just to interview our very own Kelly Lingard, a long member of this church, and just what, what God put in her heart, born of compassion to help others and what it's become and is just flourishing and blossoming and becoming. And so I, I want to just share with you a glimpse, a, shine a spotlight on this compassion ministry organization. And how it's partnered with Walter Hovingholm. And, and and then I'll I'll be back after this video after you get a little taste. And I want to share with you a major, huge, epic size announcement about Valley Christian Church as it relates to Unshattered. So let's watch this video right now.
1: Prostituted on Broadway for four years. I was like a fixture on the corner of Broadway and Kane. There, I um, I did things to people that I never thought that um, I could do to people, and things were done that I never thought anybody could do to me. At the age of 13, I started smoking weed and um, drinking alcohol. I hated the high and hated feeling drunk, but I loved the feeling of finally fitting into something. Um, that led to. Um, an addiction to prescription drugs, Percocet and Xanax, and then that um, escalated to doing heroin and crack cocaine.
2: Unshattered is the social enterprise arm of the Walter Hoving Home, which is a home for women recovering from addiction. It is the business in which the women who are currently in recovery are making handbags out of all repurposed materials all of our proceeds go right back to the home. So, it provides an opportunity for them to gain some job skills, um, raise money for the home, build themselves a path forward and really um, close the gap between what I describe as day 365, completing that program of addiction and getting back on their feet and really having a pathway for sustainable sobriety and independence and getting involved in their community in a healthy way.
1: Pivotal moment for me was a few months ago. I was transition. Kelly had asked me to transition into the leader of the Newberg team, um, and that's when I realized that hey, I have been succeeding at something. I have. I actually do have skills, and I have a set of abilities. And you know, if I could just tap into what God's given me. Um, And Kelly helps me realize this every day. Just tap into what God's given you. You're a leader, you know, just tap into that. And being able to walk through the process and making mistakes with Kelly and and Kelly guiding me through that has really been the pivotal point. I've learned that when you're asked to do something, that there's, you know what I mean, when there's like a, a deadline, you know, getting it done, time management. And I've learned that when you work in a team, Um, that everybody's got a different skill set and everybody comes together um, with what they bring to the table.
2: How can people help Unshattered? Of course the first thing I'm always going to say is to shop and not just because you know that helps us financially again we give hundred percent of those proceeds back to the home Um, but it's beyond a financial impact. It matters to these women that you think what they made is beautiful So of course, shopping, sharing the word about us, Um, donating fabrics, materials, leather coats is a great one. We do a lot of our bags out of discarded leather coats and everybody has one in their closet that you don't wanna take to goodwill, Um, but we can do something meaningful with it. Um, Mostly heavier weight fabric works for us, a lot of uh, upholstery fabric, things like that. Um, And just encouraging the women, the words matter. When somebody buys a bag and writes a review on Etsy, or writes a note on Facebook and says how much they love it. I share that with the team all the time. And it means the world to them. It keeps them going. They they ask me all the, did anybody say anything? Were there any comments? You know, they they just love those words. It, it means a lot to them. Um, I, I just want the whole congregation of Valley Christian Church to know how thankful we are. You know, Unshuttered was birthed here. This was the first place that I heard about the Walter Hoving home at all. Um, It was a sermon that Greg Greg gave one Sunday that was kind of a moment of clarity for me when it was time to leave my job. I I knew it was the moment that Sunday. Um, The church has shopped and donated and supported and encouraged and loved these women and I'm so thankful to be a part of this community because we wouldn't be where we are or where we're going without Valley Christian Church.
1: No other place, I don't think, no other way uh, would I have ever changed.
0: And we're so thankful to just be able to partner uh, with Unshattered. And um, they actually, in the back, they have some of their bags that they've made, quite a few. Uh, They've got t-shirts that actually are launching a brand new logo tonight uh, for the first time in public. And they have t-shirts, and again, all those proceeds go uh, to the Walter Hoving home. When Susie and I went to visit Unshattered and Walter Hoving home back a couple months ago, and Kelly was kind of giving us a tour around and all that, and we got back in the car, and we just felt like we wanted to do more. I, I, tomorrow's going to be 26 years that I've been the pastor of this church. And, and, and it's just been an awesome experience for me the last 26 years. 23 is the senior pastor of the church. But there's something I felt for the last few months, and that's this. This is our time. This is our time, Valley family. So as we were driving home, and Susie's talking to me, she's like, Honey, what more can we do? We just need to do more. I said, I know. I know what we can do. A few years ago, we bought this piece of property next door to us and we needed it for parking. I didn't even know what to do with the building. I have no idea. In fact, I've thought about just, let's just plow it underground and make more parking. But as we drove home, I said, you know what I think God wants us to do? I think God wants us to let Unshattered, let that be their production facility right there next to us. And so beginning in January, that building is going to be used as unshattered production facility. And I am so excited about it. <laughs> we still have a mortgage on that. And I told Kelly, don't worry about it. We'll cover it. They're just picking up the utilities. That's it. And, and, and Valley Family, you're the ones that made that happen when we bought that piece of property we didn't even ask anyone give more or anything like that it was because of your generosity Valley family and it continues to be because of your generosity Valley family now I will say this we're gonna need some help because we want to fix it up real nice for those ladies and and so they're gonna take occupancy in January but we need some people that know how to do sheetrock, that are real skilled with their hands and some, some things like that to patch up some things and to lay down some tile and, and, and those kind of things. And I am not that guy at all. <laughs> but, but if you're skilled like that, we're just going to ask that you stop by the information table on the way out and say, I want to help. I, I want to donate my time. And, and, and let me say this to the ladies of Unshadowed that are here. We're so doggone proud of you ladies. We really are. This was not a difficult decision for me to make. Not at all. And the leadership is all behind it. We are so excited to be able to partner with Unshattered in an even greater way. There's also a lot of opportunity. As you heard, most of the program at Walter Hoving Home is 365 days. We want to come alongside and really start helping out on day 366. There's a real need for housing for these ladies that have gone through the program. And that now just want to be back in a part of day to day living that are involved with Unshattered still and things like that. Susie and I are even talking about our girls going off to college, empty nest. I think it'd probably be for about a week and a half. Because we've got all these rooms, you know, we want to do whatever we can. And when I hear myself saying that, it's like something in my head is like, Greg, you're nuts. But there's something else inside me that's saying, I'm proud of you, son. Love people the way that I've loved you. Not with a hook, but with an arrow. For God so loved the world. That's the way he wants us to love. And so as we conclude, I I hope you just clean everything out back there that they have. We're not going to see a dime of it. It all goes to the Walter Hoven home. But we are so thrilled to shine a light on this compassion ministry and let our partnership with Unshattered and Walter Hoving home go even deeper than it's ever been. This is our time, Valley Christian Church. This is our time. Let us be Jesus' hands and feet to those that we know, those that we can help, Let us help. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that you showed us what love's supposed to look like. That when we look on the cross of Jesus Christ, we see what real love is. When even as he hung on that cross, he wasn't thinking about himself, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about us. He was thinking about everyone who would receive him. God, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to love the way Jesus loved, agape love. And Father, I pray for anyone and everyone in the sounding of my voice right now that if they haven't taken that step to receive your son as their savior, realizing you love them and there's nothing they can do about it, and that you've made a way through Christ's perfect life, his death and his resurrection, that we can experience forgiveness. I pray today would be the day that they place their life and their faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.